Welcome to The Imperfect Brand, the only business podcast that listens to real business leaders talk about running real businesses, so we can all benefit from the sort of hard-won knowledge that makes it easier to do something difficult. I'm Benjamin Catley-Richardson, your host, and today I'm speaking with Carl Hafner, CEO of Avida Global Colombia. Avida Global produces medicinal cannabis and expects to be providing more than 15 tonnes of oil a year into Europe, Latin America and North America by next year. Avida's growing and production takes place in Colombia, where they've also set up a foundation to take a uh, to make a positive impact on education, the environment and enterprise in the local community. And Carl is in Colombia right now. Carl, welcome. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Colombia. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I mean, to kick us off, the first question that I'm sure immediately comes to mind to most people is what is the difference between medicinal cannabis and recreational cannabis? That's a very good question. And and there's a, a many, many debates and a huge, huge um subject matters around this around the two but to give you an idea so the recreational uh, market is something that first of all we're not involved in i will will we'll state that to start with um and it is a a, a market that is generally recognized as a, a smoking of the flower and smoking of the psychoactive elements of the flower um and the it's all about creating the dry flower now from a medicinal side, and it depends which country you're in, um, and I will go to where we are in Colombia and, and Europe and most of the world, recognizes as medicinal cannabis as an extracted product. So it's a derivate of the flower. Um, and what we are trying to do, or what we will be doing, and what we are doing, is we grow the product itself, as in the cannabis, in very, very controlled environment. And this is what makes it also part of the medicinal process. Um, we grow in a hydroponic way with very, very clean reverse osmosis, clean water. We add all our own nutrients. We don't use any pesticides. We do it in a very um, environmentally friendly way. And we actually grow, despite where we are in Colombia, which is as a fantastic climate, um, we actually grow indoors so that we can protect the plant from the environment. Now, cannabis is quite a complex plant. Um, but it's also um, very virulent in the way that it grows. So you've got to be very careful on how and what strains you pick and, and make sure that you can grow in a very consistent way. The reason we go to all the, the, the extremes of growing indoors and cleaning the water and growing hydroponically, et cetera, is because cannabis is actually like a sponge and anything from the environment or anything that you feed into it is what will end up in your end product. So going back to the medicinal side of things, we want to create the cleanest, purest product we can, but also a consistent product we can, so that it can actually then be sold into the medicinal space and the pharmaceutical API market. And in terms of um, the production, obviously you're producing oil, and uh, yeah. that you know is obviously dividing it immediately from from the sort of the dry product that or the resin. Um, but how, how does the um, how does the oil pass through the regulations? I mean, obviously, you know, you've you've talked about the controls in terms of the growing, but what about the controls in terms of the 
provision of where it goes? I mean, how do you um, divide medicinal from recreational in terms of the end user? So medi the medicinal cannabis space, depending on where you are um, selling it or further processing it around the world, um, needs to have either a GMP or an EU GMP um, certification. And for those that don't know GMP, that's good manufacturing practices. Um, EU GMP is a, a class above regular GMP and our facility from the initial stages of the design to actually completion is going through that whole EU GMP certification process and by the end of this year it will be fully certified. This will allow us then to export our product um, all the way over into Europe to be further manufactured to comply with EU GMP rules and regulations, which then takes you into the medicinal space. And this isn't your first business, is it? And it's certainly, I would say as well, not your first alternative business. So what led you into <laughs> the world of cannabis in Colombia and, um, you know, through the businesses <laughs> that you've, you've created? So I, I sort of really got to go back to around 2003. Um, and then a bit later on, I'll go back even further to the mid eighties. Um, so 2003, I actually started um, an, an LED lighting company for commercial lighting to be sold in the UK, which ended up going into UK, Europe, Middle East, Far East um, and into the US. But during that process, I created a grow light um, and a grow light specifically for growing cannabis through some connections that I had in the US. Now, the reason why I went into the grow light, and this is why I mentioned the 80s, is I actually studied horticulture at uh, university. Um, I left university, worked very, very briefly in horticulture and then did nothing with it. So the whole time of my actual career spent working was actually nothing to do with horticulture until just now. So the grow light itself, and the horticulture um, actually sort of came together. I presented this to um, a, a colleague of ours um, who asked me if I would like to go to a cannabis raise in what was uh, June of 2018. I had no idea what the, a cannabis raise was all about, but they were raising money for a, a Canadian company to grow in Colombia. Um, whilst they were talking, they were looking for land in Colombia, Northern Argentina and Peru. So I was messaging my wife, who is Colombian, um, to ask her how much land her father had um, with the view to maybe looking at a business opportunity for these, this company to uh, lease the land from my father-in-law. Um, it transpired that this company was only interested in purchasing, the land was not for sale. Um, so I spoke to another business partner of mine in another venture that we were in, a gentleman called David Kirby, and we decided at that particular point, why don't we explore doing it ourselves? And so in August 2018, we formulated a, a limited company in the UK, went to Colombia, convinced my father-in-law then convinced the local mayor of the land that we chose after looking at different farms he owned, um, then the local military, and then we proceeded to find a lawyer and go through the whole process. And it's been almost a vertical climb since that moment, and it's continuing to be so, but it's a fantastic journey. 
uh, in a fantastic location. And I actually feel very lucky to be involved in what we're doing. I think the journey is what I really wanted, you know, to start this podcast all about and to get people like yourself on here, because it is about the journey. And, uh, you know, yes. I mean, I, I'm sort of here trying to do this podcast basically to talk with people like you about our own imperfections and reinforce that fact that everything we've done in the past has helped us get to where we are and all of the failures, if you like, I know you and me think differently maybe about failure, but certainly that we would agree that learning is sort of making failures or making uh, decisions that turn out to be wrong or right or whatever. It's just testing and failing in the right direction so that you only learn by actually doing something and then learning you know, from the, from the action that happened. And, um, you know, having been in business for quite some time in different businesses, I think you've got quite an interesting and a really relevant, imperfect moment that you could share with us. Yeah, no, and, and that also takes me back to a, a previous company. Um, so, as you said, failure is, is one aspect of looking at things, making mistakes through due to naivety is, is the way I would look at it. And of course, we all learn from mistakes. We all learn, as you say, from failure. But I, I, as I said, I would look at it as a, as a mistake more than anything and a mistake due to my lack of knowledge around what I was trying to do. So in a previous business, I, I, I learned a very big lesson around um, raising money um, and bringing that money into the company and the the event that or the the situation that we can talk about is i was at a point where i got a startup business i got it as far as it could possibly go um, i was introduced to a gentleman who wanted to help um, bring the business further along by injecting cash into it and i guess my mistake was to um, allow that to carry on at a level that uh, you sort of see on the Dragon's Den, which now I find, by the way, very frustrating how people give things away. And I've learned that lesson very well. So you end up giving away more than you really need to. And the mistake I made was to not understand what was happening because I needed to run the business and keep the business going. And in the end, I ended up owning less of the business than I started with. And do you think this is a common problem? That people are running into um yes i mean it, not for everybody um I, I think when when you first venture out into starting on your own you've you've been you've been in a world most people in a world where you are living in an element of comfort and by comfort i mean you get paid every month you do your job you you know and you have that regularity of course, you can always lose it, but the regularity side of things is the part that, uh, that that allows you to sort of settle back. So when you venture out into the big wide world of becoming an entrepreneur, not only is it scary, but the lessons to learn are everywhere. And there's always somebody who wants to take from you. Um, so you have to go into it once you've learned these lessons um, into uh, into it with your eyes wide open um, and with elements of caution everywhere. Now, that sort of doesn't match up in the sense that as an entrepreneur, you have to go with risk and caution is not really part of the risk, but it's almost about protecting yourself and the business that you're in. And then it gives you the longevity in the future. 
And how did your situation resolve itself ultimately? Um, eventually, after many, many years, we parted ways and, and now I have a better, a better, better life, a better outlook and a larger education in what not to do rather than what to do. Um, but of course, I did learn lessons along the way of all the things that you should do as well. And, and thinking about uh, you know, ultimately that position where you were talking about being um, a successful startup, you've got to a point where you know, you've got over that initial getting the ball rolling thing. You've got momentum, you know it could be something big and you've then invited or it has been invited um, the, the money side of it, the, the growth side of it coming in. Now, this isn't something that you then didn't ever do again, because obviously you've just talked about Avida and, and the, um, uh, the process that, that Avida is going through is, is growing and starting and, and getting big. So w when you'd had this original experience, what specifically did you take out of that to help you, like you said, know what to do and what not to do? What were some sort of key lessons that you learned within that to, to watch out for and to recognize problems before they Sort of cropped up again um yeah that's, that's actually a very interesting question uh, because when when you do create a startup you you literally do everything yourself um and i'm sure many many people listening can relate to that so you become the 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 person running the company you become the person doing the banking the accounting the designing the product purchasing every every element and you tend to focus on all of the day-to-day -day items. So I think the, the big part of what I would have said was, was the big learning part was have um, business partners, one that you could trust and two, read absolutely everything. And I don't just necessarily mean read everything within your company, but read everything about what you need to do, how you need to do it, etc. There are many, many ways that you can do that. And of course, there is a whole world of self-help books and self-help books are very good for the people who write them because they make a lot of money because they tell you how to make money, but they're the ones actually making the money. So it's, it's actually reading the right documentation, the right relevant things from actual successful people with not necessarily in your field, but successful entrepreneurial people um, and have great lawyers. That's the big bit, I would say. But in terms of the, the money side, it's interesting you brought up the idea of the money driving, you know, the, the advice industry. And um, ultimately, it seems to me that a lot of the problems like this come from that inequality in terms of how we view ideas and idea generation and, and you know, chutzpah to actually get an idea off the ground and how we view money and liquidity and the power that comes with that to basically say, it doesn't matter whether that's good or not, you're gonna have my money or you're not, and that's gonna detail whether it's, it's successful. And how do you perceive that you maybe have um, in, that, in that role put too much power or was, a, was sort of vulnerable to the power that came from the money that was coming into your business? Yeah, so, it's interesting. So you, you, you get to a point when you build a business and you, you start to become um, successful, but early successful, not, not, not fantastically successful. And when you're producing a product or manufacturing a product, during manufacturing, you find that um, you never have any cash. 
cash flow is king. And the more cash you have, the more runway money you have, the better it is. So early stage companies struggle with um, cash injections or um, support from banking sectors, etc. Um, and, and, and those are the institutes that really should look and help. So you look at private equity and private equity is the part where you find there are some people who are very interested in the business and what the business does. And then there are people who are very interested in how much money they can make and how quick they can make it. Now, of course, people with the money who want to make an investment are always looking to get a return. But you've also got to look at how that, that balances out. You, you want to find an investor that's keen on what they're doing, can ride the, the storm and the waves um, and not keep take, take, take to a point where they take the whole thing or they take as much as you can, as you've, as you've got left, as it were. Um, and so you've got to find those ones that uh, are not greedy. And that and that's a very big thing to say because, um, you know, we, we, I've, I've, I've met many, many shareholders and, and within the current business that I'm in, within Navida, we have some absolutely fantastic shareholders who are all willing to help and enjoy the journey and support us in every way we can. Of course, they are demanding as they as they should be as anybody who wants to spend their money but they are very welcoming very committed um give great advice and and those are the kind of shareholders you really want to look for because it's almost you're talking about dragon's den again it's almost like that um kind of parent child relationship is reinforced yeah. in that tv show you know you've literally got four people sneering down their noses at most of the stuff with piles of money on the table in front of them. I mean, it couldn't be about anything else other than money. <laughs> and yet, like you say, maybe the, the, the best way, I love the way you put it in terms of describing the shareholders, that the best way to recognize an investor that's, that's right for you is one who's along for the journey. Yeah. And that the journey might end with a pot of gold at the rainbow, but being along for the journey shows you that you've got someone who wants to be successful with you rather than successful off of the top of you. Of course, of course. And, and, and we're, we're in a very strange industry right now in, in, in the world of cannabis because it's still relatively new and, and there's been some fantastic um, hype at the beginning where people made lots of money and then it dipped, then we had COVID. And, you know, at the moment things are not as big as they were when it first started. Um, and I think we all saw how the Canadian companies went crazy and with ridiculous valuations on their businesses. Um, and those people made, made money and understand the market, understand the process. But the, the, the people that you want, as, as you, you, you um, commented back to me, are, uh, are those people that are enjoying the journey, want to carry on with the journey, want to be part of something that they know is a, is a, is a, is a big, big industry or a revolution in the industry that's growing, um, but with an eye on an exit at some point. Now, exits themselves can be whether you go on the market, whether you get bought out, or whether we are hu huge enough to have huge amounts of profits to buy those shares back, etc. So. Shareholders are, are very smart. Um, and as I said, we have some fantastic shareholders who 
are are accommodating to the the industry that we're in but all have an eye on how we can exit now we as the business we want to grow this business as big and as fast and as 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 is possible within the industry we're in um, and I know you've probably got a question around regulation, but that's part of things that actually can hold us back. But we are working methodically, step by step by step, to get to the point without cutting any corners. And when you start to cut corners, you go backwards. And that's the respect that we get from our shareholders towards us because we are an incredibly professional team with a dedicated focus on being the absolute best we can possibly be. I think that mutual respect and not so much the demanding of it, but the, the mutuality of it, the return of it in both directions is a real hallmark of a good investor relationship, isn't it? And, you know, you're talking yeah. about the journey and obviously you just mentioned it then, that regulation. It, it's so key that your investors under, not just want to be on the journey, but understand it. Because as I'm about to you know, talk, talk to you about now, your journey, your future journey is fraught with obstacles that anybody investing in something they didn't understand and they weren't interested in the journey might suddenly be alarmed by or caught surprised by and so right now looking forwards on your journey what's the what's the bleeding neck problem the biggest most overwhelming challenge that you've got at the moment to to preventing your success so i i guess i i wouldn't say it's preventing the success i think it's more a case of um keeping it reined in at the moment, keeping it back a little bit. Um, and, it, and it's complying with the ever-changing rules and regulations. Um, as I said, this, this is a relatively new industry that, that started its legal process, with, especially within Colombia in 2017. So the rules and regulations were set at a point. They have changed. There's a new, new rule and regulation almost every month. But the regulatory mainframe, regular, regulatory main framework is very well structured. And, and to have a cannabis license or cannabis licenses in Colombia is probably one of the hardest countries in the world to get them. Um, but that regulation doesn't filter down through all aspects of, of what is required to run a business. So bank, the banking sector, for instance, is still behind in the regulation. The legal sector is still behind in the regulation. The insurance side is still behind in the regulation. There are challenges in those in, in those fields where each of those industries has got to get over the fact that we're not recreational. It's not illegal. We have the legal licenses and framework set out by the government, by the ministries of justice, the Ministry of Health, etc., and we comply to all those regulations and all the, the regular checks that we have to go through. And then in addition to that, when you're selling your product, either in Colombia or exporting, because we will have a very large export market, you've then got to comply to the regulations of the country that it's going to, which is very different to the one it's coming from. So you, you've got to really work around that. And having fantastic people we employ to work on compliance and regulation is one thing, but also having fantastic lawyers in the UK and in Colombia that both work on that same element allows us to navigate through what is a very difficult pathway to get to the end goal. And each country that we want to sell into is having 
regulation changes almost on a monthly basis. So we have to be very aware of what, what we can sell, how we can sell it, what levels of active ingredients need to be in those products, etc., to be able to comply with first border control customs, etc., and then second within the regulatory framework of being able to be sold in the stores, etc., around the world. So the really the biggest challenge you're just coming up against is is the goalposts or you know the whole structure is changing as you're 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 walking on ice almost you're walking on a changing landscape as, uh, beneath you as you're going forward. Yeah. And in terms of obviously you talked about you're basically appointing professionals, you're appointing lawyers, you're appointing people to chase the regulatory process and keep on top of that. As a business, how are you coping with that? Um, that unpredictability because obviously you, you've got a viable business it's, it's like you say it's being reined in by these uncertainties that are um you know sort of clouding the way forwards but as a business how are you stopping the business being choked by that problem and yet also being prepared to leap once it's actually all cleared up so for, first of all the the the, the main framework still allows us to be a business, still allows us to run a business, still allows us to make money as a business, etc. So it's not not necessarily a choking issue in that respect. Um, it's more about regulation of where we go to, rather than where we where we come from. So within Colombia, we very well manage it, we know what we need to do, we know how it works. Where we're selling to is the issue. So at the moment in Europe and in the UK, there are um, uh, CBD products, which is only one of the products that we as a company produce, excuse me, um, is going through uh, a novel foods applications um, to be able to keep a product on a shelf or have an active ingredient in a product. It has to be regulated by the Food Standards Agency and the same within Europe as well. So the European Food Standards Agency has the same rules and regulations. So at the moment, that, that, that market has been almost stopped whilst it goes through um, an entity that doesn't seem to have um, the numbers of staff for the overwhelming applications that have been put into it. Um, then in addition to that, you've got the, the medicinal side, which we talked about earlier to have EU GMP. Now that's, that's just a process for us. So once we've gone through that process, that's actually a much easier market to get into, but it's all the work for each of those that you have to go through. So continuing the business is not so much the issue. Um, going back to something I said before, I mean, cash flow is king. We're a production company. We're, you know, we are, we employ people, employ staff, employ this, employ the other. So sales is a is a, a way forward and has to be a way forward in every business to generate the revenue. So we look at the market that we can sell into where we are in the stage of the company right now. So that's what gives us that growth stage because we're putting in all the elements to allow us to grow from this market into this market, into this market, into this market. And then you get to that very, very um great steep revenue curve that you desire so ultimately i mean i like to talk about removing obstacles as being a way of yeah. you know making things easy and in, in this way you've you've hit obstacles you can't remove 
but instead of focusing on those obstacles you've essentially gone with the where's the well the low-hanging fruit i guess you could start with you know yes. where, where can you start with and build a viable business with and then you're sustainably and incrementally taking those steps and and because you're taking the steps one at a time rather than trying to do it all at once you've got that position as a business to maintain your liquidity maintain your viability and at the same time, every revolution of that business is taking in a larger market and a larger market each time. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and going back to what you said just then about obstacles, I would say they are obstacles, but they're not um, full on barriers to stop you doing something. You've got to do what you need to do in your business to get ready for those obstacles to be cleared out of the way. Um, and, and they are clearable and they are you can overcome them very, very easily, but spending the time, spending the money, spending the work effort to get to those points is where we are in the business. And that they're the elements that I guess go back to the keep you up at night moment. Um, but as I said earlier, which was off air, I work far too hard, so I sleep very well. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it is, uh, what time is it here in, in the UK? So it's sort of, four o'clock in the uk what time is it over there in columbia at the moment uh, it's just coming up to 10 o'clock in the morning okay so neither of us is thinking about sleep just now but um i will i will leave you to wrestle with these uh these regulations that you're facing and just say thank you so much for your time really interested to see how how you play out and how you kind of continue that model and uh, all the best for the future thanks very much for coming on well, thank you and uh, it's been a pleasure and i i hope it helps anybody listening Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast with Carl Hafner of Avida Global. I really enjoyed that conversation with Carl. It's a fascinating business, not least because of the controversy that surrounds it, the difficulty that um, the industry has itself in terms of um, the obstacles that are changing as he said all the time but at the same time what I really liked about talking with Carl is his calmness which I think came over fantastically in that interview how he has seen these issues before or things like them he's seen the path he's walked it before and now he's confident in the actions and, and, and the progress that needs to be made as he, as he moves along. That's really one of the elements that I wanted to bring out in the podcast was that sense of experience, the sense of people who have been there before, who have seen it happen, to try and share that um, foundation, those lessons learned, that perspective with anyone who is in a rocky moment right now, or even just a moment where they're trying to take that next step and they just need some uh, support or someone else's perspective that enables them to see that as long as you're keeping alive to what you need to focus on and you're making that progress in the right direction, and really you know what success looks like, that you're going to be okay. You've just got to keep going, keep that um, keep that path forwards. As Mark Ritson says, uh, keep your hands on the wheel. Just keep going and commit to something because you understand that it's the right thing to do, the clear thing to do, and, and you know where 
you want that to take you. Anyway, uh, enough waffle. So I'm Benjamin from Brandclear, and uh, without being too kind of neat in bringing that in, that is basically what we do as a business is, is help you see what success looks like and help you figure out the steps, the roadmap, the milestones that take you along the journey to that success and um, what you need to do in order to, to do that and what you should double down on to make the most effective use of your time. Thank you very much again, and I'll just leave you, as always, with positive Forza. Forza, everybody. Goodbye.